house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. No woman was permitted to act. It's illegal. I just wanted to do what you do. What we want are surprises. Exactly. I think it might be fun to see women on the stage. She might just splash things up a bit. Permission to perform is hereby granted. A woman playing a woman, what's the trick in that? I just wanted to act. I have worked half my life to do what I do. What teacher did you learn from? I had no teacher. But then I had less need of training. I have taken nothing that belonged to you. You wear my clothes, you play my parts, you live my life, and you've taken nothing. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast getting into some real grown woman shit. Every <laughs> week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with the first lady of the stage, Joe Reed. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. I uh, First lady, it's... as in you are the premier preeminent actress, not the premier, as in first female right. identifying person to take the stage. I'm first lady of the stage in very much the way that Carlotta is first lady of the stage in uh, Phantom of the Opera. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I am uh, merely a Thenardier um, in search of, uh, uh, what's the other character? In Les Mis? Um, oh, that's the wrong know. musical. Yeah, you're throwing in Thenardier here. I don't, know, I don't understand what you're doing Oh, rest me. in peace, Phantom of the Opera. I'm not going to get to see you before you close. Um, so is it now really closing again? Is that? I is think it it's for again? real closing in maybe April. Hmm. Um, that's a bummer. That's oh, soon. Andre and Fairman. I, yeah, I am Andre. And Andre I am a hair Andre. Not hair, Andre. Jeez, I, it's early. We're recording this early uh, because we are both very busy people. Um, yes, yes. With a lot going on. Um, yes. Phantom of the Opera. Not right. the movie we're here to talk about because Phantom of the Opera has multiple Oscar nominations. However, we're get, we will get into it because... This very talking, year, in fact, right? It was 2004, yes? Yes, the very same year that we're talking about, and we're talking about the same Globe's comedy races as Stage Beauty. Yes, indeed. A movie that we've been like, we should talk about Stage Beauty. We should talk about Stage Beauty. Um, not had only you seen because, it before? Huh, I had not had, seen it before. Oh, very interesting. Okay, had so you I'm seen very it interested. before? I had. I saw it in theaters. This was my during oh. my great heyday of the wow. college, uh, the theater in North Buffalo that I would go to before my job at the college library. And so, like two thousand two through two thousand five or six ish was like that was the golden age of that. Mm-hmm. So this was right like two thousand four. I remember a lot very very vividly. This was like it was this and Huckabee's and. Oh God, Kinsey! That and... that October November window, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. What a great time of two thousand four. What a time to be alive. What a exactly. time to be supporting independent cinema uh, that uh, looks like very expensive independent cinema. Uh, yes, 
The age of independent of expensive independent cinema is uh, two thousand four specifically. Yeah, it's interesting. This was a Tribeca Films production, which which is I why under- it played the Tribeca. It, it it premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival, which you know Tribeca Film. That's why Robert De Niro is listed as a producer credit as a producer, right? Yeah. Robert De Niro and Jane Rosenthal. Um, was would this have been? Like the first or second Tribeca Film Festival, right? Because it started right after nine. Started in O two. Started in O two, so this so would have been, been the third. third. Wow! So it started like right uh, after, because I remember it being like a thing that that De Niro and Rosenthal had started as a sort of like bring people back to the city, sort of revitalize downtown mm-hmm. kind of a thing, and. Um, so the third one, that's interesting. Tribeca has grown into something so super wild. When I've looked at, you know, especially the pandemic, you know, everybody had to get creative during the pandemic. But it yeah. really feels like Tribeca is all over the city <laughs> in, like, different locations doing outdoor They've never screenings, been able... indoor screenings. Everywhere. Yeah. They've never been able to settle on a central hub that they like when I first covered it. It was at the now-closing uh, Chelsea Theater on 23rd Street for the most part. And then they moved most of the screenings to the Battery Park uh, Cinema, which is sort of located inside a hotel, which I really like, but it is quite out of the way mm-hmm. of sort of the hustle and bustle Was this your secret New York else. cinema that you would always go to and profess that it was never crowded but you would never yes. tell anyone which one yes. you would go yes. to okay yes that was regal battery park um and <laughs> you wouldn't reveal your secrets <laughs> it was kind of an open secret because like the anybody who went there sort of like knew and and it was only a matter of like were you willing to put in the you know the legwork to go there because it's like i mean like it's right by the world trade center so the trains all go there, but then you have to like cross west uh, the West Side Highway to get to the other side of the Battery Park to get to it. And I think I stayed in this hotel as like the a Conrad. Teen. Yeah, it maybe was a nice hotel. because yeah. I remember staying in a hotel that had a movie theater in the basement. Oh, this is a movie theater like upstairs though, so maybe you're nope, not of the same hotel. <laughs> um, there is a movie theater though that maybe fits that bill. That is sort of in that Tribeca area. No, I can't think of it. Anyway. Um, so this was your first time seeing it. So I'm seeing it uh, with, you know, almost 20 years remove. And I remember at the time being positive on the movie, but really knocked out by the Billy Crudup performance. And in retrospect, I was sort of worried that, like, was I really into that performance because he's, like, the most beautiful a person has ever looked <laughs> in their entire life in this movie? And I'm watching Spending it most of the movie in various disrobed... Uh... His... But it's it's his face in this movie. And, like, so watching it again, I'm like, well, he's still the most beautiful person I've ever seen in a movie. But the performance is what I remember it being. I think it's a really, really phenomenal, fantastic performance in a movie that this time frustrated me more than it did the first time around. And I'm wondering what your experience with it was. It's interesting to hear you say that you were more frustrated on this watch than your initial watch, because this was my initial watch, and I actually had a really good time with this movie. I thought it was really fun. I Um, I think it dances between some really, really good observations while also being a little bit blunted in the, in its understanding of things like 
gender and yes, where the audience's sympathies should be directed, or at least like where where these characters should be allowed to find their fulfillment. You know what I mean? The fact that this movie ends where it ends annoys me more now than it did then. <laughs> well, see, I I mean, I very much was watching it through the like gaze of or through the lens of I'm watching a 20-year-old movie that if this yeah. movie was to, made today, it would probably be more interesting. But I think even for 20 years ago, it's still pretty interesting. You know, Billy Crudup is a probably bisexual character who is also obviously going through a certain type of gender, not discovery, but like journey in terms of like the whole movie is about what performing different gender roles exactly does for him and like and allows him to express about himself and what he, and allows what him to find gender out about roles himself. when he's performing them he feels limited by yes um, yeah which i find way more interesting than a lot of especially as mainstream as this movie would be a lot of mainstream movies of this era sure would have done and like that i was kind of surprised by i was expecting mostly a fluffy you know costume drama and it's not right. that and i do think it's actually very satisfying on those regards but um my yeah. thing is i i have no problem sort of accepting the conception of this character as bisexual more so than i would have back in 2004 when i was just like well he's gay um <laughs> I think just because a character is bisexual doesn't obligate you then to pair him up with the female lead by the end of the movie. I don't think, like, that doesn't, it still doesn't track for me that that's where this movie was leading. The thing that I like at the end of the movie is when, because they had been playing those games of, you know, are you the, who's the man now? Are you, are you the man who's the woman? I love that scene. I have to say, I love that It's a great scene. scene. And the fact that the movie ends and she says, she asks him, well, which one are you now? And he says, I don't know. And the movie is happy to leave it there. That feels pretty progressive to me for 2004 yeah, so like yeah. that part i like for sure um it's the i just i don't even after that scene in the bed where they're sort of rolling around and, and who's the man and who's the woman i still don't see that as as being pretext for a romantic union at the end of this movie rather than just sort of like you just want them to be friends who fuck Kind of like a bisexual guy and this girl who's sort of figuring out how to what you know her acting style is going to be, and like that almost feels like an acting exercise more than like a romantic thing, right? Where they're playing power. Sure. Games. Yes, they're I playing... agree. I yeah. So, and I wish the movie could have. It's a romance I... because we're watching a movie, and it has to be a romance. That's yes, yes. So it's like that's an annoyance. I think part of the first half of this movie, I was kind of in a defensive crouch. Being like, oh god, I hope this movie isn't like crypto turf. Well, crypto turfy in a way where it's like, you know, uh, men should not be dressing as. Uh, I remember it being more feminist in that, like the. In, I remember it being more uh, less complicated in the idea that the Claire Danes character is getting to act now because it is the feminist sort of arc to the world that women now get to take their rightful place as women and men 
you know, we're no are no longer usurping women's roles and you know that kind of thing. And I was like, and the one England. doing the gaslighting, gatekeeping, girl bossing is Billy right. Crudup in drag. <laughs> well, yeah, and well, and just sort of like now everything that happens in England with regards to gender, I'm very crouching, defensive about turfy shit. So like, yes. And it didn't, like, it, it stayed on, on the right side of that, as far as I thought, at least. So I was happy about that. It doesn't, it, she's a more complicated character than I remembered, where, like, the, the movie allows her to have to learn things. She just doesn't come, like, prepackaged as a perfect actress to the stage. And the movie invests in having them learn from each other in, bouncing off male and female roles right 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 it's, it's a lot more muddled at, as with regard to gender in a good way like it, it, in a um you know it's not very black and white in that it way. would also be a very different movie if she was this prolific or like prodigious talent without having right. the stage experience and the movie right. I think is smarter and more interesting and gives her something to do that uh, yeah. makes the movie have more long. I say have more longevity, but this isn't exactly a movie that's like stamped on the culture. Um, Nobody remembers. Then this movie, if she was, you know, the kind of more simplistic, obvious thing that I think a movie today might do where it's like, she's this incredible actress and she yep. is the best there has ever been and she is mm-hmm. limited by the time she was born and it's like yeah. she's limited by the time she's born but it's also that she's limited in her opportunity to learn sure. grow as an artist she she just wants it at the time and <laughs> i don't know that surprised me too because i was expecting the kind of simplistic you know f- type of easy sell down the middle uh like you go girl type of story and it's like it isn't not necessarily that but i think it allowed for her character to do to have a more interesting arc i still think he is head and shoulders above everything else in this movie i think the crude up performance is one of his best one of the best of that year and um We'll we'll get into later my sort of my best of two thousand four list because I want to talk about that, but um, <laughs> I think it's an incredible performance. I think it's yeah, he's it's he's fantastic. really wonderful we love to watch him on this podcast. What a great role for and it's like he he now has sort of graduated to being our premier smarmy dickhead kind of, and he plays <laughs> those roles really well. You know what I mean and and. To various degrees, whether it's Spotlight or The Morning Show or, or mm-hmm. whatever. And this is just a very, very different role than pretty much anything he's ever done in the rest of his career, although I haven't seen everything that he's done on stage. Um, well, it's uh, we should talk a little bit about his stage career, too, because, like... yeah. It's also interesting that he's taking this role, too, and doing so well in this role, because it's like, this is before he really becomes, like... I mean, he's always been on the stage, but, like, that's right. before he got his Tony. He had his first Tony nomination at this point. Right, right. Um, yeah, he sort of became, for a while there, far more renowned for his stage work than uh, his screen work. It was sort of his, like, in-between time. Uh, I've only seen him in one thing. I saw him in uh, the revival of Arcadia that they did around maybe 2011, 
I don't know. That's I was going to say, t- you didn't see all 11 hours of the Coast of Utopia? No, the Coast of Utopia was around the time that I had first moved to the city. And um, I had didn't really get into the swing of seeing like a lot of things on Broadway for a few years. So um, I did not see the Coast of Utopia. Now looking back, I'm like, you know, it sounds arduous, but also sounds very interesting. And the yeah. cast of that is tremendous. Worth it. Um, but he was really good. He was in um, um, Arcadia with who was in that? Bell Powley was in that one, and Grace Gummer, and and he had shoot. been in the original production of Arcadia, I thought, and now as an adult, he was playing this other role. I think that's right. Wait, I wanna. I'm. Tr- I, I'm. I'm. Oh, um, uh, Margaret Collin, who was in. Uh, Independence Day, who is Jeff Goldblum's estranged wife in Independence Day and is also in Three Men and a Baby. I was going to say Danny's estranged sister. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) No, Colin, like C-O-L-I-N, not Colin. Wait, I want to find uh, who was in this cast, though. So hold on a second, because it's going to bug me otherwise. Come on, Internet Broadway database, load quicker. Can we talk about Internet Broadway Database? Sure, Thank talk about it. Thank you for staying so rudimentary, Internet Broadway yes, Database. Because you are a reference source and you know it. The second like Amazon it. gets a hold of you, you will be so ugly and useless, just like happened with IMDb, just yes. like happened with Box Office Mojo. Stay in your lo-fi form, Internet yes. Broadway Database. And if you want lo-fi Internet off-Broadway Database, <laughs> we salute you. Hundred percent. I was right that it was 2011. It was Billy Crudup, Margaret Collin. I forgot Raúl Esparza of all people, who was yes. uh, a great played. Uh, Speaking uh, of beloved bisexuals, one hundred percent. Grace Gummer. I remember Bell Powley, which was like that was like introducing Bell Powley. That was before she was in. Um, oh, what's the Diary of a Teenage Girl? Thank you, Diary of a Teenage Girl, the Mario Heller movie, and then Tom Riley, who played Septimus Hodge, who was really, really great. I walked away with that being a very, very big uh, Tom Riley fan. Anyway, good production of Arcadia, but that's the only time I had ever seen um, Billy Crudup on stage, and he is kind of one of my favorite actors, sort of like low-key one of my favorite actors. And um, I had seen him on stage in The Pillow Man, who was taking right their children to see beauty, The Pillow think, Man, right? my father. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good production. Michael Stuhlbarg, the first time I ever saw Michael Stuhlbarg. Um, there you go. Playing, um, uh, yeah, that's why we don't produce the Pillow Man anymore. Um, why? What's the, I See, I only know of the fact of the Pillow Man. I don't know what that story is. It's, it's very vague about this character's uh, cognitive situation. I but see. Michael Stuhlbarg played it. To the full arsler, to quote Tropic Thunder. This was Martin McDonough's big breakthrough? It was his first thing? I believe for Broadway, but the Cripple of Inishman had been in New York before. I I just forget if that was on Broadway or not. Okay. Um... Very interesting. Jal Kovanek is in that production, and Jeff mm-hmm. Goldblum is also in that Jell production. Jal Kovanek was very good. Nice. All right. Well, I don't want to get too far into stage beauty before we do the plot, I guess, because like odds are our listeners, if you're listening to this, you may have may not have seen this. I will say I watched this movie on the Roku channel with commercials <laughs> for free. So I watched it on a crummy library DVD. There you go. Um 
this is a good this is a good movie though. It should be more well known than it is. Richard Eyre, of course, would go on to make movies that to give us more even better to. Uh, queer cinema with notes on a notes scandal. Notes on a scandal. Yes, uh, we uh, should right also up. eager to talk about our TIFF screening of Alleluia, which was is the latest. Oh yeah, I was Richard like, are we going to have to get into that again? <laughs> we, um, we can't too much because it hasn't come out yet, and there is a it's about to come out in the aspect. UK. Yeah, well, um, spoiler, spoiler alert. Listeners, we are here to talk about stage beauty, not as I proposed it to Joe, the uh, RuPaul uh, star booty sequel, Stage Stage Booty. booty. (laughs) Listen, for a while there in this movie, there is one scene at least where Stage Booty kind of uh, uh, applies. Listen, Stage Booty is constantly... Uh, on the table in this movie like if this was made by a hornier director there would be a lot more stage booty yeah as it is there's a tantalizing amount of stage booty, a, there, I, like. I mean ben chaplin's balls we'll get into it you did um, text me just ben chaplin's balls is basically <laughs> that was the text that was it that I got from Chris Vile. It's not a Saturday afternoon. Ben Chaplin's balls. And I knew what he was talking we... about, thank God. Or else we would have had a very interesting conversation. <laughs> we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Uh, yep. Once again, we're here talking about Stage Beauty, directed by Richard Eyre, written by Jeffrey Hatcher, based on his play Complete Female Stage Beauty, starring our favorite, our original patron saint, Claire Danes. Claire Danes. We'll get into that. It's been Billy a minute Crudup. for us with Claire, I will say. Huh? It's been a minute for us with Claire. We it has sort been of, uh, quite a minute. Put her on the shelf. New for a listeners bit. won't understand, but we got Claire Danes is the reason we have the Six Timers Club, right? I, yeah, I think she that's was right. our she was our first, shockingly. Yes. Um, and well, not maybe shockingly, but we kind of stumbled into it. This conversation, where we're like, is Claire Danes the queen of our show? We've talked about her a lot, and we our... are fifty episodes in. Well. Um, our last one that we did with Claire Danes, though, was me and Orson Welles, which was episode 122, and this is episode 230. So, like, it's been a minute since we've, right. we've and how many visited Claire. How many has she hit now? Is this like eight? Eight. She's eight. Yes. She hit that six though very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. Six in six in our first 89 episodes, which is like a pretty good <laughs> clip. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, starring Claire Danes, Billy Crudup. We're gonna get into that. Um, Tom Wilkinson, Rupert Everett, Hugh Bonneville, my boyfriend Hugh Bonneville, uh, Zoe Tapper, Richard Griffiths, Ben Chaplin, Alice Eve, and Tom Hollander. I Maybe. did not. I did not make note of Tom Hollander in this movie. And I've Tom seen it Hollander now twice. is the man that does the portrait of her. That's like, if we're gonna make you a star, oh, you have to show your. Boob I was in looking. I was. I guess doing making notes or looking at other things or whatever. Right. Um, well, did not make he note also of Tom weirdly has. A less ostentatious wig than anybody else in the movie, <laughs> but it does have a full Rachel bang. Right. Um, I do like that Rupert Everett in this movie, when he takes off his wig, it's full uh, Deanna Dunnigan in uh, August Osage County. <laughs> you know? Where it's just sort of uh, uh, struggling wisps. Yeah. Yeah, Zoe Tapper runs in and screams, "I'm running things now." <laughs> Basically, honestly, that's kind of the plot. That should be that my is whole the plot of this movie. Is Zoe um, Tapper runs in and says, "I'm running things now." That's uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the restoration for you. Yeah. 
Uh, the movie premiered at the Tribeca Festival in May of 2004, became a TIFF gala it, the same year, 2004, and it opened limited in October 8th, 2004. Yeah. Joe, you are tasked to give a 60-second plot description this week. Are yes. you ready? Sure. All right, then your 60-second plot description of Stage Beauty starts now. It's the Restoration Era, baby, and the greatest actor of viewing the stage is Ned Keniston, who plays all the female parts in the great works of theater because only men are allowed by law to perform on the stage. He's currently playing Desdemona to mannered perfection, and life is pretty good. He's basking in the praise of critics and upper-crust groupies alike and bottoming for the Duke of Buckingham. Ah, but the winds of change do blow. Women like his dresser Mariah are starting to act in unsanctioned barroom performances, and when King Charles's mistress Nell Gwynne gets a bee-up or bustle about wanting to act herself, the king makes a decree that not only can women now act on stage, but women only can now play female roles. Ned's life turns to shit seconds. pretty quickly. He can no longer act in the parts that thrill his soul. He gets beaten up by the aristocrats who once flattered him. The Duke of Buckingham has dumped him to go marry a woman, and now Mariah is the toast of the town, even though she's not really that good at acting yet. One night, Mariah pulls Ned out of a flop house where he's performing a degrading Merkin act and takes him home, where they almost have sex while he's also just kind of teaching her what being verse is. Anyway, while Ned's old Ten company seconds. is called upon to perform Othello for the king, Ned is begged to come back and teach Mariah how to play Desdemona, and the two of them together kind of help her invent naturalistic acting, while Ned finally learns how to play a male role at the same time, which is a triumph in blackface, which is never not uncomfortable, and then it all ends with them kissing, which I guess is a bi-triumph, but definitely a bummer for Mary Louise Parker at the end. <laughs> all right, eight seconds over time, you got Mary Louise Parker in there, we will get sure into did. it, we'll get into it, we'll get we into sure it. will. Um, triumph of blackface, yes, that is the worst thing about this movie, however, it... This could have been about any other, pl- any Shakespeare play, and they chose to make it Othello, which is like genuinely take a shot every time. I guess they the say idea Desdemona is you need to have movie. the scene where he's trying to kill her. I guess that's right. like that, like that. Yes, I guess you do maybe need to have it be Othello, but like, goo, I'm like pulling at my collar. <laughs> um, they do, yeah. they do, kind of poke fun at the historical truth of it too because you have that scene where tom wilkinson who at the beginning of the movie is the actor playing yes. uh, othello yes. and uh, the basically stage door they had stage doors back then or yeah. the movie says they did yeah. uh they're going up to this guy and they're like are you an actor too and tom wilkinson is like yes i played othello and they're like we don't recognize you <laughs> and it's supposed to be like right look how awful all of that was and look how stupid i was trying to figure out because in this movie that is very much about um women finally getting to play the roles of women in things to have actors in blackface playing the role of othello i guess maybe is like i guess the idea is like that's commentary in and of itself and i wonder like i think in 2023 that's maybe not sufficient no i mean it should feel like that's more inherent that the movie is gesturing towards that, you know, that black actors weren't playing black right. roles um, or, you know, anyone non-white was not playing a non-white right. role. Right. Uh, but, yeah, it doesn't feel like the movie gestures towards Or maybe that it just trusts its audience. Maybe I'm being too hard on it. Maybe this is a movie that just sort of trusts its audience to sort of look at that and be like, yeah, look how fucked up things were in other ways. Um, and maybe I'm not giving the audience enough credit. But I was I, I also am like there is I allow for the possibility that I have been poisoned by discourse irrevocably and I watch <laughs> something like this and I'm like, no, people are going to be weird. But about it's also discourse. right there in what the movie's doing. So I don't know yeah. if you're yeah. wrong to 
question that because it's like, well, you're unpacking this, but you're not really even making a comment about this. Sure, sure, um, sure. I mean, I think it kind of is with that joke, but maybe it's not enough. Right. Um, good movie. <laughs> Otherwise, I like this movie. Yeah, it's it is a good movie. For as much as I was, as I said, um, I think more frustrated by it. I the the good parts of it sort of elevate it and i don't want to be sort of unnecessarily again sort of like worried about how people would take the gender aspects of this because it is it is an interesting tale i think richard Eyre tends to gravitate he didn't write this obviously but he tends to gravitate towards thornier stories right mm-hmm. Even sometimes when they aren't there, which we'll talk about Alleluia <laughs> later, where Alleluia is an attempt to make some to kind of crunchily make something more thorny than it is, um, and it does not work. And it doesn't work. <laughs> I don't think. Um, I remember sitting next to you, and I I involuntarily went, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> and I think I was probably making that same note in my notebook as I was watching it because it's just like because you almost can't believe again we're not going to get into spoilers because this is a very new movie um, uh, yeah, you go it, and see uh, Richard Ayer's Alleluia 80% starring, of the movie is fully watchable and kind of and lovely fine, and nice yeah. and we it was very late in the festival and we we're like we're going to go see a nice British comedy about uh, nice people and working in a a palliative home. care center and it uh takes a very hard left turn towards the end of that movie at the final five minutes that the movie the rest of the movie just cannot support the weight of the turn of this <laughs> movie it's like it's like a um you know when you can almost like you can tell that a truck is making a turn that is too tight for it to make mm-hmm. and you're like you're and then to the truck up. overturns right. and then the the bed of the truck cracks yes. open when it hits the pavement and yes. fruit goes everywhere make that a is hallelujah yes yeah. um go see it <laughs> yeah. um yeah judy dench we don't know how much longer we're gonna have judy dench and you know i know judy Den- was it you that said judy dench in this movie said mama let's race <laughs> I Judy Dench learns how to use an iPad, guys. And she does. That's, she becomes that's big... an investigative journalist. Yeah. Well, first of all, I said that because at TIFF, I showed you... I could you... not stop saying it just to make you... Well, because you were like, where does Mama Let's Research come from? And so I showed you the Gina Rodriguez tweet that inspired the Mama Let's Research. Uh, Is it Gina Rodriguez or Michelle Rodriguez? No, it's Gina Rodriguez from Jane oh, the Virgin. Okay. Why um, did I think that it was Michelle I don't know, but it's you, lost, you lost your mind when you read that tweet. And then for the rest of the entire fortnight, you made Mama Less Research jokes about literally everything. It was great. It was so Truly fun. everything. Yeah. It was like you had a shiny new toy and you were just going to play with it the entire time that we were there. <laughs> it was great. Um, uh, okay, so back Richard to... Richard Yes, Richard Eyre. Richard Eyre, so, uh, who was spent a decade as the artistic director of the National Theater, and that's, yes. like, how he got his name. He had done some TV movies and such right. uh, beforehand, and I believe one or two movies that I don't think are that available. Um, Iris was the big, like, movie yes. breakthrough for him in yes. 2000? 2001. 2001. 2001, that's right. Three acting nominations, wins for Jim Broadbent, who also has Moulin Rouge that year. That year, Um yes. 
Probably, I think... Poor Hugh I Bonneville. Think... Hugh Bonneville, to me, is the best performance in that movie. You do love a Hugh Bonneville, and he's, he's also so in this movie. He's so cute in that movie. <laughs> he's, he's playing Samuel Pepys in this one. So handsome. Um, uh... But, like, the only one of that ensemble between Judy Dench, Kate Winslet, and Broadbent that doesn't get a nomination. Jim Broadbent yeah. is playing the same character but older and gets an Oscar. Well, because they Bonneville. nominate Broadbent in supporting and not lead, right. even though... And I'm of the mind that, like, Broadbent and Moulin Rouge is the performance that, that you nominate I would for him. I still probably give the Oscar to Ian McKellen, both because I loved Ian McKellen in that role as Gandalf, but also I think ian mckellen should have an oscar and by that point he hadn't won for gods and monsters so like i feel like that was the time to uh to give him an award and we missed it unfortunately you know how i feel about lord of the rings but i might be swayed to giving it to mccullen just because he doesn't have an oscar and it's shameful um it's too bad this is a good cast in this movie though i think everybody's sort of uh working even like tom wilkinson who like doesn't really get an arc as much but like every scene he's in he's doing good work and he's yeah. interesting to yeah. watch and he's like his line readings are really good. a lot of the actors in this movie just showed up for like a week and then had yeah. some fun and did a good job i actually really liked rupert everett in this movie too. rupert everett, rupert everett who gets to you know wear some fun wigs rupert everett never seems like he's going off of a script in this movie. He just seems like he shows up on set and sort of like, give me the gist of like what I'm doing in this character and then just sort of like talks. And and uh, <laughs> he definitely seems like he's sort of going his own way in this movie, but it's very fun to watch. Um, the shot of the movie, that's him and his mistress. He is in drag. She is in drag. And male truly drag, yeah. it's like me and who. <laughs> I will say the scene where she convinces him to make the decree that only women may play women's roles by um uh a persuasive blowjob is filmed in the silliest possible way. Like that's one where I was just like, maybe we're we're testing the boundaries of tone in this movie. Where like <laughs> it's so slapsticky, it's so like you almost hear like you know when like you hear like honking bassoons in a in a soundtrack where like things are like being like wah 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 bah, bah, and it's just like silly silly goofy goofy silly and like that <laughs> seemed to be the tone of that scene and it didn't really translate well, for the rest of the movie. Okay, maybe maybe I was burdened by what my expectations of what this would be, and maybe my expectation was somewhat unfair. But I was expecting stuffy out of this movie okay. and. Yeah. Every time it gave me silly like that, yeah. I appreciated it because it's not what I expected. And what I imagine a lot of audience members that did see this movie, how few of them there were, got out of this movie. The the parts that I like the best were when it breaks out of stuffy and gets into kind of shockingly emotionally trenchant stuff, which again goes back to the crude up stuff. Like all these sort of scenes where he's talking about he, it's not that he can't play the male roles. It's that he's so he finds them so empty of whatever playing women gives him in terms of being able to. He talks about it in a way that the other characters kind of roll their eyes at, where he's like, there's no artistry in playing a man. There's no 
other level there. Mm -hmm. The only interesting male role I've ever played is when he played Rosalind, where he was uh, a man playing a woman playing a man. And he's like, he's trying to explain like the layers to people Mm -hmm. and they're all looking at each other like this asshole. But like, I I loved those scenes too, because it felt like the movie becoming one of the more interesting movies about an artist that I've seen in a while. Because, um, it's you a know, really usually, interesting movie about the craft of acting, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. But also, like, the perspective of an artist, too, because, like, you know, we see his other people, like you said, kind of rolling their eyes at him. And he he's not just, like, getting at his experience of gender in that monologue, in that scene, but he's also getting at, you know, where he's coming from as an yeah. artist at the same time, and it's right. so... The, that, I thought, was interesting, and that's where it gets to the point where I'm like, yes, you're right about Crudup's performance. He is tremendous in this movie. It really is just, like, n- unlike anything, and by this point in his career, he had done uh, Jesus is Son and Almost Famous in the same year, and I probably would have nominated him for Oscar for both. I think he's on my list for both of them. I need to watch Jesus is Son. It's on Tubi. I don't know if it's aged as well. I haven't seen it since the beginning. It might seem like a little bit of like a tedious, like drug addict movie now from now's perspective. But I, I at the time I was really blown away by him, and his performance as Russell in Almost Famous has only grown for me. Every time I watch that movie, I'm more and more impressed by him specifically. Um, and so by this time I had already I was already kind of in the bag for him and this just gives you a whole other level to what he can do like genuinely if you have not seen this movie and you're listening to this watch it for his performance alone because if you if you feel like you know everything there is to appreciate about Billy Crudup he really does give you something in this movie that he doesn't give in anything else that he's mm-hmm. that he's done in his career and it's really fascinating at the very least um but yeah, he he just really pulls you in to there's this could have very easily been a silly movie about a man who plays female roles who can't handle that a woman is finally asserting, you know, herself as in female roles. And he could have very easily been a unsympathetic character with no interiority and this the the story the screenplay obviously and the play obviously does not take that perspective but i think also a lot of it is that performance the performance really mm-hmm. does invest in ned as an emotional like who's somebody whose uh, you know feelings and emotions deserve to be taken seriously beyond just the silliness of it. And he also does play the comedy of it. He plays mm-hmm. like his mannerisms as Desdemona are very funny. <laughs> the scene the at the beginning of the movie when he's still in full drag and he has those two women with him who Ugh. are like, you know, having their own, like we see it in terms of like women who are fawning over David drag Bowie, over drag Prince, etc. Yeah. Harry Styles. Uh, it's it's basically that and he is in this carriage with them and it is like a funny sex scene where he's yes. pulling their hands uh, consensually into yeah. his dress and it's like it's shot in a way where it's like the dress inside the dress is a cavern so it's like yeah they're grabbing billy crudup's penis but it's they shot sure in a way where it's like they're fingering him it's, right very funny yeah 
There's um, also the scene uh, even before that when he's that first performance of the Desdemona death scene where he gets the standing ovation from the audience, much to Tom Wilkinson's annoyance, because like Tom Wilkinson's trying to uh or there's somebody else who's who's trying to the make a cast member who quits because their exit is end is ruined by right. the Desdemona standing. But ovation. so at some point, crude up uh who's dead on stage sort of like opens his eye and like puts a finger up to the audience from uh his uh, death position as Desdemona to tell them to like oh we have like one more scene to go and then when they quiet down his like wrist goes like this and is like continue <laughs> like that and it's so incredibly like you have my permission go ahead it's great it's it's really great what did we think of Claire Danes in this movie i think she's great I mean, I it's think, it's I not anything we haven't seen her do before, but it, I was interested in, like, preparing for this episode. It was originally supposed to be Kate Winslet, which I was, I think, you change that character to Claire Danes, and it completely changes what the dynamic of it is. Especially yeah. because it's this movie that, you know, and this is not at all a dig against Claire Danes, but sure. it is... She is supposed to be playing an actress who isn't great yet. Yes. And has to play that arc. I don't know if we buy that as much from Kate Winslet, even in 2004. Except you know? I think in 2004, Kate Winslet is a stronger actress, so maybe she could she could play that. You know what I mean? Like, maybe she makes us believe that. Sure, but, like, the audience kind of brings their own they do baggage to movies and like sometimes it works brilliantly like yeah. and intentionally in movies like black swan um i just i think claire danes is a more interesting choice for that too i think in um, this stage of her career i think she's still figuring her instrument out a little bit mm-hmm. obviously i thought she was brilliant in my so-called life like the, the degree to which that one season of my so-called life imprinted itself on me is not to be underestimated. Like that show really um, fascinated me in a way. And it wasn't just sort of like, Oh, I feel spoken to as a teenager. It like fascinated me on an artistic level. Um, And then she moves into obviously like she's in home for the holidays and how to make an American quilt and to Jillian. But then Romeo and Juliet is the, her first starring role in a film and she's tremendous, and that movie is tremendous, but there is a degree to which, short of, like, Nicole Kidman in, like, Moulin Rouge, like, sometimes when if you're in a Baz Luhrmann movie, you are in service to the Baz Luhrmann of it all. And I think in the role of Juliet especially, where she's tremendous, but she's not really called upon to do a great range of things in that role. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, it's like smaller roles again, you uh, turn in the Rainmaker and Polish Wedding. And um, she stars again in Broke Down Palace, which I definitely saw, but I don't really remember a ton about, except for um, the trailer, weirdly. Like the trailer <laughs> kind of uh, imprinted on me a lot, where she slams her her palm into the jail cell and says, we didn't do it! Um she sacrifices herself so that Kate Beckinsale can leave and is go that how that ends? Okay. okay. <laughs> um and then even like, you know, 2002 she's in Igby goes down. Um she's in the hours of course playing Meryl's daughter in the hours and and 
is great in that, but it's like it's you know three lines or whatever. Um, Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines doesn't really call upon her to do too much. So like stage beauty is kind of a leveling up in terms of what it's asking her to sort of pull off. And obviously, Shop Girls the next year, and I don't know. Her career is still evolving by this point. I really don't think it's till she gets things like Temple Grandin and Homeland Mm -hmm. that we really feel like we've gotten the full range of her. And now, of course, she can be in something like Fleischman is in Trouble, which is a small role. I really want to talk about Fleischman with you. Oh, man. I think she's tremendous in that show. She she really is. Everybody is. I think all three principals, her and Lizzie Kaplan and Jesse Eisenberg, are all really great in that show. Mm -hmm. Um, Claire Danes gets the spotlight. Well, Lizzie Kaplan also gets a spotlight episode. I Um, saw some people complaining that, you know, the idea... I I, I don't know why Fleischman is the show that's making people feel this way, but I've seen several people now complain that they're tired of this trope of... A TV show where a character gets their own episode. And I don't like, understand why people like... But it's the exact are... structure of the book. Well, also... <laughs> it's the exact structure of the book. That's television. Like, uh, it, television is episodic. And if you have a show that is telling one long story, I want episodes that are contained like that. I want something that feels more episodic. I think... I think that's maybe a disconnect that I have with people who are making that complaint. I think sometimes Twitter encourages people to be very good at recognizing a trope and very bad at evaluating what that trope (laughs) means. And like, honestly, like, and I'm sure there are like critics who like, who also maybe take issue with this and there are, are wrestling with it more studiously. But I think Twitter especially, um, trains people to recognize tropes and then like antibodies in the human bloodstream attack that trope. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, just like, just recognizing something as a trope doesn't make it bad just because you can see like, Oh, this show is doing what all these other shows are doing. Doesn't mean that, all of that is bad. <laughs> and I also disagree with categorically saying, well, this is the Claire Danes episode. Because in the overall structure of it, you abandon Toby Fleischman for that's that's what it is. Like, I feel like it's more successful in the book than it is in the show. Because maybe the, the season needed to be an episode or two episodes even shorter mm. to get to that point. Because my memory of the book, at least, was... Your Toby's story ends earlier, and maybe for the portion of the book that you have, you're spending more time with Rachel, right? Um, and with the Lizzie Kaplan character. Th- I haven't in- read the book because, of course, I don't know how to read. Um, <laughs> I really loved the show. I really thought the show was tremendous, and it uh, came so say- far at the end of the year that, like, I watched it after I had made my best ofs. So I kind of wanted I did to go too. back. Um, and re-edit. But, like, that's on Hulu for releasing a show that late. When you know you're Hulu, releasing... FX on Hulu, FX, right. Hulu. Yeah, I watched it on Hulu. It's a Hulu show. <laughs> um, yeah. But, like, I love that they released episodically, weekly, you know, one at a time. But if you're going to do that, you got to start a month earlier. I maybe should have given myself the room. that Because, that, like, some shows absolutely need the room uh, to, like, breathe. I also kind of feel like the traders would be taking off even more oh, um, if it had room to breathe. It's insane um, that they released that show all at once. It's very dumb. Um, but 
<laughs> Fleischman for me personally, and speaking as neither a parent or a woman, <laughs> the the Lizzie Kaplan arc, and I'd read the book. The Lizzie uh, Kaplan arc spoke to me so. There's a moment it in fucked me up, man. I should not really, have watched it all. It really at once. does. Like it. The moment, and of course, I'm watching this movie. Getting me at where I'm at. <laughs> I watched this movie mere weeks after moving out of New York City in a thing that like I'm still very emotional about. And watching her, like, she's back in the city, she's standing in front of IFC Center, and like it flashes back to the marquee that was playing when she was young and living in the city. Pretty and sure I'm just the like, IFC Center was not the IFC Center when Virgin It was the Waverly. Was well, it was because it, it was the, they, the marquee changes and it was the Waverly oh, uh, Theater it. back then. Um, but it was IFC Center when I first moved to the city, right? Um, and it just devastated me. Like, because that whole idea of just like, learn, like, reconciling with the fact that like this is who i was and this isn't who i am anymore mm-hmm. and i'm just like fuck god damn it yeah. and it's and it's like these very specific like she's sitting in a park when she sees claire danes she's sitting in a park that i was sitting with and my sister with my sister like the last month that i lived in the city mm-hmm. and oh god killed me absolutely killed me such a good show. Go watch it. Everybody go watch it. After a you watch Stage Beauty. Go Great watch. show. If you are in your mid-30s or early 40s, um, watch it with a seatbelt. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, but I, I I got to that point by saying that, like, I think 2004 Claire Danes is still evolving. Mm-hmm. And there are moments in this movie where she's not quite there for me yet. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think that there is something... To her as an actress that she has in spades that we complain constantly that no actor today really has. And I guess we're talking about actors who are 30 years old, not, you know, actors that are 40 like she is. But, like, she still has it. She can do that type of thing. And that's the ability to have chemistry with the people she shares a fucking scene with. Because, like... That's what makes this movie watchable. That's what makes, uh, like, her character arc interesting, makes us invest in her character arc, is that she is a conceivable person. I just think that Claire Danes is someone who can, like, play a character arc not, like, isolated to her own. Like, part of the, you know, the thing that makes us think that nobody has chemistry anymore is, like, you watch these performances, and even good performances, doesn't feel like they're playing off of their scene partner. They're not, you know, developing a relationship between those two characters with the person they're sharing the scene with. And, like, it might sound trite, but that is an actual skill, and she does it. And you see it in things like this. You see it in things like Fleischman. And, you know, I mean, I think she's known for other things, but, like... You see it in, like, the the hours. I mean, not to bring up the mm -hmm. hours unnecessarily, but, like, she and Meryl have one scene together. All it is, I looked around this room and I thought, I'm giving a party. All I want to do is give a party. And? I know why he does it. He does it deliberately. Oh, is this Richard? Of course. And that... Completely believable relationship. Mother-daughter relationship is completely believable. Exactly. It's exactly right. Um, So, yeah, you you make a good point, for sure. Um, And I think in something like this, which is, like, romantic comedy adjacent mm -hmm. to... um, 
I think today we see that that's not so easy to do. Um, so this is probably our good excuse to go into the tabloidiness of the tab the tabloid <laughs> angle of this movie, which is you're, sort you're of, saying uh, we should discuss why it seems like they have such good chemistry in this movie. <laughs> we should. Um, <laughs> we talked so, about this before. One yeah. of our favorite bits of tabloid remembrance. Yes. The affair that they had on the set of this movie. 2003, this movie is being filmed. Uh, at the time, Billy Crudup is dating, long-term dating Mary Louise Parker. I think they had been dating for something like 10 years or whatever. Um, just a very long time. Maybe not quite that long, but like a long time. Um, she is seven months pregnant with their child, and he leaves her to go be with Claire Danes, who they had gotten together on the set of Stage Beauty. Now, Claire Danes had, in like, later on, like, she didn't talk about it for, like, ever. Actually, none of them really did. The uh, the closest to it was Crudup made a statement at one point being, like, essentially just, like, leave us alone. This is a private matter. This, you know, there's mm-hmm. an infant involved in this, like, all this sort of stuff. Just, like, you know, it's none of your business, essentially. A few years later, Claire Danes had said that um, this was. I thought that she'd made a comment after they were dating because this is while she's been with Hugh Dancy that she made this right. Comment. So, but so like, as reporters are asking, like, are you and Claire Danes? Are you and Billy Crudup together? And she's essentially like, no, we've been friends for a very long time. Um, it's just a very long friendship. And then when the relationship finally went public. She has spoken about, and like after the fact, right after the fact that like she's now with Hugh Dancing, whatever, and like the Billy Crudup relationship is in the past, she's talked about how she's like, I was just in love with this guy. And I think the one statement is just like, I had to pursue that, which is like an odd statement because like, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you did, but like also like, I can imagine somebody like Mary Louise Parker doesn't really. I thought she'd made some comment of that. being like, I was very young and didn't have this tool set. The Uh mental tool set, basically, to, you know, prevent things from happening. And then Mary Louise Parker doesn't really mention it ever, otherwise than a sort of sideways reference in the book that she wrote, which was like letters to men. Uh, the the concept of this book was like you know letters to various men who've uh, who I've interacted with, and the letter was to the cab driver who she freaked out on the one day as she's trying to get to like a gyno appointment, and he's taking the wrong route, and she freaked out on this cab driver, and she basically writes a letter of like I'm very sorry, uh, and this was sort of what I was going through at the time was I had been left, and I was pregnant, and that's sort of like the most she's ever really. Mm-hmm. addressed that this was while she was starring on the west wing she had already filmed angels in america because i'm pretty sure she's pregnant when she wins golden globe for angels in america which is at the end of 2003 if i'm getting it right i'm she's won two golden globes she won one golden globe for angels in america and then she won another one for weeds a few years later but i think mm-hmm. the one she won for angels in america is the one where she goes up and she says that the bet with her friend to thank her son for her boobs. janelle maloney from um from the west wing who was also just in the leisure seeker um who she says janelle maloney uh said she'd give me $100 if I thanked my son for how good my boobs look in this dress. And Janelle Maloney just told me she would pay me $1,000 
if I thanked my newborn son for my boobs looking so good in this dress. So, get out your checkbook. William Atticus Parker, thank you so much from your mother. Yeah. Because um, she was, uh, she had, I think she must have just had the baby then. Um, and that's what it was. She had just recently had the baby. And I love, I love Mary Louise Parker in general. This was like the era of my like most intense love for Mary Louise Parker, where it's like right. Angels in America, West Wing, two of my favorite characters she's ever done. I'm so into everything she's doing. But also, by this point, I was also so over the moon about Billy Crudup uh, as an actor from Almost Famous and from whatever. And so my joke for all those years was just like, well, I'm staying friends with both of them. And like, we're, we're navigating <laughs> through the unpleasantness. Um, and I've refused to take a side from one to the other, even though objectively, him leaving her for another woman while she's seven months pregnant is some dastardly bastard bullshit. Like, that yeah. is objectively really bad. And it has been the work of my lifetime to remain a Billy Crudup fan through all of this, but I really do think he's such a tremendous actor. I mean, recent years, because of course this is shit that also happened 20 years ago, but in recent years he uh, makes it uh, pretty easy. I think he gave the performance of his career in 20th Century Women. He's uh, so good in that. Which of course no one noticed. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a tremendous actor and, you know, I don't like to go down the road of figuring out the worst thing every actor who I love has done or said. And because then all of a sudden, like you're bereft of any art to enjoy. <laughs> you know what I mean? At some point you have to accept the personal foibles of people so long as they are accept, you know what I mean? So long as, right. you know, it's not so beyond the pale. And here's what I'll propose I about Billy this. Crudup. Yeah. He is the first man of this podcast because not only <laughs> uh, do we love Mary Louise Parker, not only do we love Claire Danes, yes. we also love, honor, and respect Naomi Watts, who is his yeah. romantic partner. That's true. I love when he just shows up on her Instagram. He is just like, the first it's gentleman real. It's of love. this podcast. Yeah, if if Naomi Watts and Claire Danes are sort of our first ladies, yeah, you're right. He is the first gentleman. Um, is he fun? On, I don't follow any celebrities on Instagram. Like at some point, if you Naomi if you have, Watts is fun on Instagram. It's like Debbie Allen, and like that's kind of it. Is who I follow <laughs> on Instagram. Other than like mid tier like reality people, sometimes where it's like sometimes it's like fun, but even that, I'm like it's a very limited. I had to break myself of following people from the circle because I'm like this is not. Oh, see, yeah, do I don't get, I anymore. can't get into that trap. It's too much, and certainly like actors, I don't want to be disillusioned. I think that there are chances that somebody will be delightful on social media, but the chance that I will like lose my spark for loving somebody because they're weird on social media is uh, weird in a bad way weird in a good way is fine laura or Dern's too much weird in a good you know way. uh laura dern saying she's at the festival the film festival like that's good stuff like we like that um yeah so much love and honor to mary louise parker i'm glad you made it through uh a rough era of your of your life i can't imagine she's ever seen stage beauty and she probably shouldn't um but we're all doing well now Listen, Mary Louise has a few Tony Awards. Billy's got his several Tony Tonys. Awards. She's got her Claire Danes Emmy. has She's... a bunch of Emmys. Yeah, everybody's, everybody's wait. Up. Has she ever done a book on tape? Is she one letter shy of an EGOT? Mary Louise has never won an Oscar. Right, but is that the one that she's shy of? Does she have a Grammy? 
Oh, I would be surprised, but hold on a second. Uh, I'll look this up. <laughs> I would listen to an audiobook read by Mary Louise Parker, 100%. but come to think of it, she doesn't really have an uh, audiobook. Well, she did have that memoir, though, of the, of the letters, so maybe she was. Hold on. Awards. Her, I go look up Maria Louise Parker right now and look at her IMDb photo, which I'm pretty sure was that Golden Globes where she said her boobs looked great. Yeah, I think I I know exactly the photo that you're. She's talking about. so beautiful. Like, honest to God, I love her so much. Um, all right, Grammy. No Grammy awards. She's a Gemini Award winner for her performance in the 2007 uh, TV movie The Robber Bride, which I think was based on a. Um, uh, Handmaid's Tale. Who's the Handmaid's Tale? Margaret Atwood. Gary, yes. so we got to do some rehab on Mary Louise Parker on IMDb. Her known for. Oof. Wait, everybody, let's talk about please it. go to the Fried Green Tomatoes page and click on Mary Louise Parker. We got to hack this SEO. Yeah, it's a bad known, known for. Is yeah. Weeds, both Red movies, and R.I.P.D. It's wrong. It's no it's, one saw R.I.P.D. It's deeply wrong. Yeah, I don't like Why it. Why is Angels in America not on there? Why is Fried Green Tomatoes not on there? It's it's wrong. It's a bummer, and it's bad. The Client should be on there, if, if anything, more so than the Red movies. Um, I know, like, I know her greatest work is, is on the often side. on stage, but, like, Boys on the Side, saved. Um, uh, what the hell else? But yeah, Fried Green Tomatoes, at the very least, needs to be on there. God. Portrait of a Lady, even. Why not? Um, sure. She's on the poster for Grand Canyon, for Christ's sake. Just, like, throw her <laughs> on there. Have you seen Grand Canyon? I don't remember. <laughs> There's, like, that era of cast in movies that I'm like, I don't... Nobody talks about these things. Are they good? I either saw Grand, Grand Canyon Canyon's or saw Oscar the trailer right? enough times that I think I saw Grand Canyon. And I can't I can't uh, decide which is which. But anyway. Um, so... Let's let's talk a little bit like the globes and such because I think part yes. of the reason why stage beauty aside from being vaguely Shakespeare in love like in you know the 5 years after that movie mm-hmm. the a lot of this uh the like reason why we can talk about this on the podcast is because it crude up at least was heavily predicted for globes comedy and was not ultimately so read us off the nominations for Golden Globe. Uh, well, Jamie Foxx wins for Ray. They ran that movie as a musical, which don't know why more movies like Ray don't do this because Ray has like nine million musical sequences. Of course, it's a musical. Yeah. Uh, Jim Carrey for Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Perfect. Kevin Klein for De Lovely. Kevin Spacey for Beyond the Sea. Well, that's the and one. And the non-Oscar-nominated Paul Giamatti for Sideways. That's a really strong category for the Golden Globes musical or comedy, honestly. With the exception of Kevin Spacey, who is actively horrifying and embarrassing. Beyond beyond the Kevin Spacey-ness of it, I think sometimes we now look back and like every Kevin Spacey performance is cringe, and on some level that is true. But Listeners, like, just uh, go and Google a picture of Bobby Darren and uh, come up with a list of actors you think would be appropriate to play Bobby Darren. He also plays the role from like age 20 to age 60 or whatever. It's just like he, like, uh, how old was Bobby Darren when he... 
Oh no, he died early. Okay, but he plays the role from like age twenty to uh, when he uh, when he died, which was age thirty seven, which was very early. Um, but he's playing. It's an entirely too young role in general for Kevin yeah. Spacey at that point in his life. It's also a bad performance. It's a bad movie. It's like kind of a howler. Um, almost. I watched it before the allegations came out, so like I was able to watch it and just have fun with the howlerness of it. But um, it's really bad. So yeah, <laughs> Billy Crudup is my number one best actor performance of that entire year. Full stop. So like he absolutely oh, would have go. been on my um, list. I have it's Crudup, Jim Carrey, Giamatti, Jeff Bridges for The Door on the Floor, and Gael Garcia Bernal for Bad Education. Ooh, great I think choice. it's a very strong. Two thousand four is a sneaky, really good year for movies that mm-hmm. like we don't always recognize. Which like Eternal Sunshine is that year. Huckabees is that year. Sideways, um, Dogville is released in the United States that year. Kill Bill two, Door in the Floor, uh, Bad Education, Aviator, Hero is released in the United States in two thousand four. Mean Girls is that year. Dear Drake. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, Tarnation, Maria Full of Grace, like a lot of movies that were never going to be best picture contenders at the Oscars, but like that's why I think it's a sneaky good year where you really have to just like peel back a layer or two. And it's just these like really, really interesting movies that were doing really interesting things in the middle of that decade. Well, and Sideways kind of eats everyone's lunch that year because it's this small, scrappy movie that, like, kind of took all of the the off-the-beaten-path energy out of the room, you know, and it maybe took all of that energy to get it as far as it did. Yeah. I mean, like, that's a movie that I think... How much money did Sideways make? I feel like it made like $80 million or something that's a little wild. And what kind of sucks about it, and like this is no dig against Sideways, but like it doesn't have as much of an imprint in the culture. And like it got all of that, you know, it sucked all of that air out of the room and still didn't get nominated for the best thing about it, which is Paul Giamatti's performance. Right. Yes, I agree. I I, And at the time, I mean, maybe tied with Virginia Madsen's performance. At the time... That snub was pretty uh, significant and well-known um, and somewhat notorious that Giamatti wasn't nominated. But I want to, like, so before much so I'm done... it carries him through the entire Cinderella Man season. Yeah. Even though I think he's great in that movie, but, like, when's Paul Giamatti bad? Maybe right. those Capital One commercials. I was going to say, you hate those Capital One commercials. <laughs> but, like, I, I'm looking at the 2004 list of movies that I have, uh, that I had seen that year, but, like, Birth is that year. Um, mm-hmm. House of Flying Daggers is that year. Uh, like the Life Aquatic is that year. Um, Motorcycle Diaries. Two? What's that? Did you say Kill Bill Two? I said Kill Bill Two before Sunset. Um, Collateral, which is not even a movie that I love, but like is worth talking about in regards to that. Same with The Village. Um, Eternal Sunshine, of course, like uh, looms sort of high above all of them. Saved is that year. Speaking of Mary Louise Parker, the Dawn of the Dead remake that is still my favorite Zack Snyder movie is that year. <laughs> um, Probably the only good Zack Snyder movie. Did I say Tarnation? Tarnation, you one said of my Tarnation, favorite yeah. weird uh, documentary movies. The Incredibles is that year. Uh, it's just a really, really 
really fantastic year for movies that like when people talk about like the great years 99 and 07 and and whatnot i always sort of say that 04 is is slept on as a great movie or spider-man 2 like a little movie called spider-man 2 Uh, (laughs) another little movie called the incredibles right yeah exactly that's exactly it so all this um, to say too million dollar baby's a good movie like you like it better than i do but um, I don't think it's terrible. There are elements about it, like Jay Baruchel, that are just like, See, oh, I love Jay we're Baruchel doing this. in that movie. <laughs> That's maybe one of my favorite parts of that movie, is Jay Baruchel. I love him. Um, Everybody looks at you and they laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like, the Margot Martindale stuff in that movie, I think, is very, very cringy. Like, I find it very When I rewatched it thinking going into it that that portion was cringy i found it less cringy Mm. than i remembered all right but anyway yeah we sort of we've talked about the the golden globes i think like i like i think crudup should have been oscar nominated i fully understand why he wasn't uh this movie was not on anybody's radar but um who this is also a year where the Globes comedy races were being taken. A spot was being taken up by Phantom of the Opera, though Jared Butler was not nominated for, you know, his But Emmy Rossum was, right? Emmy Rossum but Emmy Rossum was. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. The Globes, who do really like Claire Danes, didn't nominate her. And In the wake of Joel Schumacher's death and my sort of boomeranging appreciation for The Phantom of the Opera... I'm tempted to go back every once in a while and watch that movie in full and see if I was wrong about it. I watch scenes of it and I still feel like even just like the musical numbers more often than not are filmed in a way that I think is dumb and like, and takes away uh, uh, things that could be really good about it. I also think like Gerard Butler really is an albatross around that movie. Um, (laughs) But like there are things about that movie that that do work. And I wonder if maybe Patrick Wilson. Sure. I'm more thinking Mini of like Driver. Mini Driver. Um I also think Emmy Rossum is pretty good for what you like she's she embodies that sort of like the ingenueness of Christine in a way that you want. And I think with a more dynamic phantom, that movie works a lot better. Mm-hmm. I also am just like more of a sucker for those songs, but like the masquerade number is staged, I think, really like, well. N- not to be like, let's have more age gap discourse, but the, <laughs> the Phantom but, like, should be good been deal Antonio older. Banderas, or it should have been Hugh Jackman, or yes. you know, yeah. Well, Antonio Banderas has like performed those songs on stage and stuff like that, and like right. a concert form and whatnot. Antonio it is Banderas almost surprising. Ruled. I wonder what was going on. Maybe he was making an X-Men movie at that point, but like... Hugh Jackman? Why wasn't it Hugh Jackman? I don't know if I love Hugh Jackman as the Phantom either, but like he's a better choice than... He'd be than better. Butler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. This whole like chemistry type of thing that maybe Emmy Rossum would be better if she had like a better, hunkier Phantom. I mean, Hugh Jackman, why not? It's not even hunkier. It's like you... Like, I think he does have to be older and more menacing more credibly menacing i think every time that like gerard butler tries to like sneer in that movie it's just kind of laughable yeah like gerard butler's phantom like the most menacing thing he's doing is like opening a door to where some shit's going down right like he's not ever going he's not a threat to anybody yeah justice for the phantom of the opera it deserves it deserves better um all right what else about stage beauty 
did it get nominated for? It was uh, it's a National Board of Review. Uh, I don't know what was going. This is one of the years that they do not only attend but special recognition for excellence in filmmaking. So this is before the independent top ten, but these are mostly independent uh-huh. movies that are in this lumping of twelve movies. So what is it? Read it off. All right, A Home at the End of the World, uh, underrated this had Oscar Buzz episode. Uh, Before Sunset, great movie. Enduring Love, Joe Reed loves that. Uh, I do. (laughs) Eternal Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a movie called Facing Windows. Don't know it. Garden State, Sigourney Weaver in Imaginary Heroes, Since Otar Left, Stage Beauty, The Assassination of Richard Nixon, The Door and the Floor, The Woodsman, and David Gordon Green's Undertow. Undertow, good movie. Um, David Gordon's Green, Undertow, the sequel to David Gordon Green's Camel Toe. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it right Undertow now. is a good movie. Um, Remember when David Gordon Green made good movies? Uh, I, what's he remaking now that is going to bother me? The Exorcist. Me? The Exorcist, of course. We yeah. can talk about it, but like, no, we don't fundamentally, theoretically, it. I don't want to talk about it. He already fucked up the Halloween movies. He's going <laughs> to fuck up one of the other greatest horror movies of all time. Oh He's, boy! Uh, what w- the good that is coming out of it is Ellen Burstyn agreed to do the movie, yeah. but basically Warner Brothers, I think it's Warner Brothers, uh, has to fund an acting scholarship in perpetuity. Go Ellen! So it's like Very good. this is it's might be her last hurrah. Good for her for, for you her. know making them. Make some good come out of the whatever havoc he's going to wreak over. Yeah. The Exorcist. I love, speaking of the NBR, I'm sort of perusing this. They have their little Freedom of Expression Award, which is essentially like a movie that we couldn't put on any other list, but like is about something important. And that the year, pairing of Fahrenheit 9 11 and The Passion of the Christ together for that's this. Brilliantly NBR, because also that was such a major storyline of 2004, right. which was. On one hand, you have the people who like Fahrenheit 9-11. They hate George Bush. They're, you know, they listen to Air America and <laughs> um, they they love Michael Moore. And on the other side, you have the people who love the Passion of the Christ. Devoutly religious. They love Mel Gibson and all of his uh, prejudices. And they secretly blame the Jews for more things than they should blame the Jews for. And... Um, uh, which makes it sound like you should be blaming the Jews for anything and you should don't, don't blame the Jews. Like that's, if your sentence starts with, I blame the Jews for just like, stop that sentence. Like, (laughs) don't, don't say that. Stop that Uh, sentence. Do not speak for at least two years and start listening. Yeah. Just like, just do a lot more listening anyway. Um, but that was the divide in cultural America that year. And both of those movies made a shockingly amount of a shocking amount of money for what they were, which is essentially a slapped together um, daily show segment, bad and documentary, a, and a horrifying and snuff uh, film. and a snuff film. Yeah, exactly. And they both made bucket loads of money, and and that's where we were in two thousand four. Uh, it was it was quite a time. I should seal my husband's passion of the Christ story. My my husband who was working at a movie theater. Yeah. Uh, at the time of Passion of the Christ coming out. And this is before digital projection, though. I mean, digital projection existed, but not where, like, every screen is digitally uh, projected. So 
because only so many number of prints were made for the movie there, you know, they would have simultaneous screens running the same print and the print would run from like one side of the building to the other (laughs) in the middle of this movie. Like as you know, they have a theater full of church people, uh, angry, not very nice church people, uh, you know, packing houses for the Passion of the Christ. Somebody goes up and accidentally walks through where the print is and it, like, crashes three or two or three theaters full of angry church people and they all en masse, you know, uh, gazelle in the Lion King style. Oh, wow. Mass out of the theater and into the lobby and start, like, yelling at teenage child who's just trying to sell people popcorn oh no oh god maybe this is a case example while digital projection is good actually (laughs) (laughs) monsignor o'connell was very very angry that day right Um, right uh i don't think it would be like monsignor it would be like debbie lou oh i see uh, so it wasn't even like i i'm i'm blaming my fellow catholics and jimmy ray okay yeah yeah, no, these were like Baptists. Church lady, Baptists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, what else is worth talking about in this NBR list? Breakthrough performance actor Topher Grace for In Good Company and P.S. Topher, Topher Grace was good in those movies. I don't remember a goddamn thing about In Good Company, and I definitely saw that movie. Um, we should do P.S. maybe, even though our listeners would We could ab- do In Good Company. Absolutely no conception of what we're talking about. Um, we would probably struggle to find that movie. Probably, yeah. The um, thing is, that's a Dylan Kidd movie. I think that's that director's name. Yes. And he directed Roger Dodger. Yes. And like, if we're going to do a Dylan Kidd movie, we should be doing We should Roger do Roger Dodger. Dodger. That would be a fun one to do, actually. The, the there There's some interesting stories in that one, for sure. What else? What? I'm just looking at this NBR list. Um, and that Benning and Being Julia, that was a moment in time for all of us. That was a real... Uh, we were trying. Listen, we tried a lot it. of gay people will yell at me that I need to rewatch that movie and that it's good, actually, trademark. I don't think it's bad, but like it's weird that like we made a big enough deal about that to get her an Oscar nomination for mm-hmm. that. It's just when weird. Uh, you know, right around the... Well, not right around the corner. 15 years later... Uh, 20th century women would be right there and, and was you know paid dust yeah exactly um, not paid dust it got a screenplay nomination no but that performance was paid dust in a way yeah. that uh, uh, was too much too much for me to handle um, you, you wrote down in the audience Shakespeare and love similarities and that's something that I had also written down in my notes and I want to talk about that because obviously um Shakespeare in Love covers some of the same ground with mm-hmm. the Gwyneth Paltrow character sort of going undercover as a man because she cannot play the parts as a woman. And this the stage beauty sort of zeroes in on that in a really kind of gnarly way. And I get why Shakespeare in Love is the more successful movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, both sort of like financially and awards wise, but also like, hangs together probably a little bit better than a movie, but also like as a movie, um, but it's grander. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of like it's ambitious. Yeah, it grander. has a sweep to it that this movie is almost not interested in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with that. Um, this is a Lionsgate movie. 
Lionsgate. Interesting year for Lionsgate, largely because, you know, they have this massive financial success in the aforementioned Fahrenheit 9-11. Yes. Um, Was this the year that, like, they kind of broke... I'm trying to remember, like, when I started becoming aware of Lionsgate. Maybe it was... um, uh, Well, Lionsgate... This is, like, the beginning of the transition for Lionsgate, because Lionsgate used to release more off-the-beaten-path type of things uh, ahead of, like, this when they're making Fahrenheit 9-11 money and releasing more controversial movies. They, I, um, they're breakthrough i was just on almost major podcast go back and listen discussing this movie yeah their breakthrough is really gods and monsters i see okay with oscar there might be something before that but like gods and monsters you know you can imagine if that was a year of a best picture 10 it would be a best picture nominee oh it was almost a best picture nominee with just five like it really was on the cusp that year yeah 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 i think the first time i never really noticed lionsgate as a sort of burgeoning little film dork was American Psycho. I think that was the first time mm-hmm. I remember. Um, well, because they is American Psycho one of the movies because Lionsgate also was they tended to pick up things that were dumped by Miramax because Disney said they couldn't release it. <laughs> <laughs> like I think Dogma was one of those. Yeah, I well, yeah, Dogma was definitely um, originally intended to be a Miramax movie for sure because all his other ones were. Um, Dogma movie I watched again very recently. What a odd little creature that movie is, and I don't mean that entirely in a pejorative. Like as as with most of Kevin Smith's sort of, he made those like first four movies that are regarded as like his best movies before things really started getting um sad a little, just like a little <laughs> a little sad. Um, I think there is there's. I've talked about this before in relation to Chasing Amy, but like I think there is interest to be found in those first four movies. And like he's going, he's making some swings in Dogma and he's not connecting entirely, but like there's some interesting stuff going on in that movie. And it is to me really watchable. So, mm-hmm. uh, even still, so uh, good for, good for Dogma. It's really weird that Linda Fiorentino is the star of that movie, though. It's just really, really strange <laughs> that like she's o- she's only the star of like a very small handful of movies, and one of them is Dogma. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, what else? Their did big Oscar have going success on? this year, though, is Hotel Rwanda, which yes. also is a movie that you can very easily see in a Best Picture ten. It being a Best Picture nominee. Oh, 100%. Wait, let's go. Let's do that then. What were the two, uh, 2004 as a 10 best picture year? I like when we do this little exercise. So, okay. The nominees were Million Dollar Baby, The Aviator, Finding Neverland, ugh, Ray, and Sideways. The lone director that year was Mike Lee for Vera Drake. That's I, one of your best picture nominees. I think that is. I think that's one. Um, I think Hotel Rwanda absolutely is another. Mm-hmm. The Incredibles. I think The Incredibles, yes. Yep. So that's three. So we're looking for two more. I would like it to be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and that did win... I, I think that's one. ...original screenplay. So, like, that's in contention for those last two. Closer, I think, doesn't make it. But is, People but it, were really caustic about that movie. Um, so I'm going to agree with you. I think 
So I'm just going to like read off movies that got other uh, nominations. Kinsey. I think it could be the Collateral. Motorcycle Diaries. Maybe the Motorcycle Diaries. Maybe. It did get a screenplay nomination. Um, One song. Right. It was kept in conversation. That movie did really well with, I believe, Indie Spirits and BAFTA. Do you feel like, because of the discourse that year, that they would have just nominated Fahrenheit 9-11 and The Passion of the Christ both? No. You don't think so? I don't. You don't think those got close? Okay. No. Because there was buzz for both of those movies as Best Picture contenders at the time. I do remember. I there There was. Passion of the Christ did well, but I don't know if there was people stomping for Best Picture. Though, again... My whole my whole sticking point about this is if you have a Best Picture 10, it changes the entire narrative of the race. So yes. maybe. Right. Um, that's that's sort of what I mean by in terms of like if that if that becomes a narrative that picks up steam. You also have stuff like A Very Long Engagement, which gets like multiple crafts nominations. You mm-hmm. get The Sea Inside, which got uh, which won a uh, foreign language film. Um so you're saying, or I think we're both saying, Vera Drake, Hotel Rwanda, The Incredibles, and Eternal Sunshine. And then That's you're four. Fu- yeah, so your your number 10 movie is what? Motorcycle Diaries. Is Motorcycle Diaries. All right. I think mine is... God, there's also House of Flying Daggers, who gets some nominations. Um... What are our I mean, Shrek 2 did well. <laughs> Honestly. Spider-Man 2 is not a bad call either. Yes. Except that in 2004, I think the, the hurdle that superhero movies would have had to jump, they couldn't jump it yet. Right. Maybe you're right about Motorcycle Diaries. It did get the screenplay nomination. I think if I were to it just, just like well at other places too, if in, I'm remembering correctly. In the interest of throwing in something as an alternate so that we both don't both don't have the exact same list, I'm just going to say that they do Fahrenheit 9/11. I don't know. Cuz it's not eligible was it, it wasn't eligible That's for what it was. Feature? The rules at the time he chose to make it best picture eligible instead of documentary. But then I don't, I think what ultimately happened is it was ruled ineligible because it aired on like PBS or something right before the election. I think it was ineligible for documentary feature, but not for best picture. Maybe is that a thing that would have been possible? I don't even know. I don't even know. So maybe it is just motorcycle diaries and, and, uh, and, and we leave it at that. What an interesting Maybe it's game. Phantom. <laughs> maybe it is Phantom, honestly. Like, maybe it is. Should we move on to the IMDb game? Let's do it. All right. What? Uh, explain it. To, ex, <laughs> explain it. Explain Explain the game. All right, uh, Mrs. Graham. Uh, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. IMDb. That's the IMDb game. My yeah. dude, are you giving or guessing first? 
I'll uh, guess first. All right. So we talked about the great Fleischman is in trouble, yeah. starring none other than Miss Claire Danes, who you could argue is the titular Fleischman. Yeah. But the other titular Fleischman, who is in trouble, um, we seriously we gotta get a handle on all these Fleischmans being in trouble. Um, <laughs> we gotta get over on all these all these Fleischmans are in trouble. Yeah. Uh, I uh, don't know if you know this, but Fleischman is in trouble. Tonight at 11, Fleischman is oh my in God. trouble. <laughs> Who am I guessing for IMDb games? Uh, you're guessing Jesse Eisenberg. Have we never done Jesse Eisenberg? Okay. Uh, right. I think we have, but early. Early. Social Network. Social Network. His Oscar nomination. His Oscar nomination. Um, now You See Me? Incorrect. No, Now You See Me. Well, darn. Uh, um, Zombieland. Zombieland. There we Thought go. you'd get hung up on that one. No, that was a very popular movie. Um, but many people forget that the Zombielands happened. It's true. It's true. Um, Jesse Eisenberg follows up Social Network with what films? Um. Oh, is one of them like the double? Incorrect, not the double. So you're getting your years. Your years are 2005 and 2016. 2005 and 2016. 2016 is um Huh. You didn't forget Zombieland, but Oh, is I it Zombieland think- Double Tap? No, but I do think that people forgot that this happened. Specifically that he happened in this. That he happened in... Oh, it's um, uh, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice? I was going to ask that... I was going to say you needed to give the full title, but yes, he played Lex Luthor in that barely functioning movie. Yeah. All right, so 2005, so this is well before um, uh, The Social Network. Is this the year of... No, Roger Dodger is 02. So this is after... Oh, sweet baby Jesse Eisenberg in... I know. 2002's Roger Dodger. The Village, which he's barely in, is 04. 05, Jesse Eisenberg. Is it like one of those like indie movies about like shitty prep school kids or something like that? <laughs> is not it not that? Oh, God. Okay. Like, I keep thinking Igby goes down, but obviously that's not him. Um, this is better Igby goes down. Oh. And I like Igby goes down. Um, I haven't seen it in 20 years, but I would say that I like it. Oh, no. It's, it's, you're right. It's the squid and the whale. It's the squid and the whale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Very, very good. That's not, that's not a bad IMDb game for Jesse Eisenberg. No. no. But Now You See Me is surprising that it's not there. I don't know. Zombieland is the, the, the makes more sense blockbuster there anyway all right chris for you i picked one of the stars of uh stage beauty banking on the fact that you maybe wouldn't have investigated this person uh is it my boyfriend 
Uh, no, it's the person whose balls you texted me about. It is Ben Chaplin. Oh, we didn't talk about Ben Chaplin's balls. There's a whole, like, steam, ancient steam room scene where he's just, like, sitting one leg up. And I was like, the second he moves, you're going to be able to see his balls. Wait, can we talk about the sex scene on stage that they have on, like, the little, the mattress that they throw down on the stage after hours where he says, and I quote, he tells him to put the wig on. I like to see a golden flow as I die in you. Like, that is some dialogue <laughs> right there. <laughs> My favorite Cardi B lyrics. Oh, um, this, okay, wait. We're going we're gonna to back up, because I didn't go through my notes before we did IMDb Game, and I did want to ask you, on what challenge would Ned Kiniston go home on Drag Race? <laughs> what would be Ned's downfall? Well, the thing is, uh, well, I suppose... You'd be playing female characters. Obviously, the weakness is playing a male character. Um, However, I don't know. I feel like this type of broad queen is not great at lip syncing. So I think, like a rusical during the lips, either the rusical, yeah, or the the lip sync Lollapalooza. Ned Kinnison would make such a fucking fuss over getting the role that sh- that he wanted in, <laughs> in the, the rusical. In the rusical. And, and would get it. Because everybody but, would be like, fine, fine. Oh, you know what? Right, Have it. Right. Because and then there's so if much he doesn't pressure get the on that role, person. that means that he wins. But if he does get the role, that means he's going home. Exactly. Yeah. Because I think Ned would do well at the Snatch Game. I think Ned would do well at the makeover because the movie obviously shows that like he can impart uh, his his skill set onto Ned somebody wouldn't else. make it to the makeover. The makeover is always towards the end of the I season. Know. Right. I, that's why I was just thinking like where where does he fall down? And ultimately, I do think it's the Rusical. I think it is. All right. Anyway, Ben Chaplin. Ben Chaplin's balls. Yes. The, there is a steam room scene where he's just like sitting on a ledge in a towel with yes. one leg propped up. Yep. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, if they show his leg moving, it's going to show his balls. And uh, sure even in a grainy DVD, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's his balls. <laughs> And I text my friend Joe Reed, and I continued watching the movie. Yes. Uh, Balls update 2023. Yes. All right. So you are going to guess. (laughs) Ned Kornacki. Or Kornacki is just like (laughs) doing a whole visual on when Ben Chaplin's leg is going to slightly lower. If these trends continue. And the towel is going to reveal his scrotum. Yeah. One more more batch of... uh, of returns from uh, Thigh County, and we're going to get... Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Give me Ben Chaplin's We're receiving updates from Paraniga, Paranium, our, uh, our, Missouri. Just, just, just give me Ben Chaplin's known for. Paranium this is impossible. Um, Paranium County actually does sound like a plausible county somewhere in, like... In Missouri, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, is Lost Souls on there? No, but God love that you've been so uh, f cinema score pilled that <laughs> you would guess Lost Souls first. But like, when else was he a lead? Um, this is going to be impossible. I am not going to be nice to you next week. Gonna pull something. Um, Good luck, Ben Chaplin. I have Ben Chaplin facial blindness, which is, I'm sure entirely relatable especially for like executives in hollywood yes um well what's the movie that he co-stars with somebody who you who the facial blindness becomes 
a thing. Oh, Sienna Miller. No. Ben Chaplin oh. facial blindness uh, coincided with a co-star of his who, like, everybody was like, they look exactly the same. Andrea Rice, bro. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, um, he looks like that actor. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Toby Maguire? I shouldn't be giving you hints this early, but like I, I, I you are going to need them. No, this is a movie with like 8 billion actors in it. Somebody was like memorably cut out of it. Oh, uh, Thin Red Line. Thin Red Line. Thin, Thin Red, Red Line, Line, everybody walked out of it and couldn't tell Ben uh, Chaplin and Jim Caviezel apart. was my <laughs> right. recollection. Um, okay. I mean, that's the era of movie. I just need to guess movies from like that era. What was his breakthrough? The Great first question. thing most people saw most people saw him at. Is it Maybe? like inventing the Abbots? No, that's that's Billy Crudup. Um uh, But doesn't mainstream... that have a bunch of like white twinks from yeah, that but era? It, it's like yeah, but it's not him. Um mainstream comedy where he's like the romantic lead, but like the female leads are the poster the mm. stars. He's like the middle of a lug of triangle, and the female leads are the ones who are on the poster. Oh. He is technically oh. also on the poster, but like much smaller. Oh, uh, Truth About Cats and Dogs. Truth About Cats and Dogs. He is on this poster getting dragged by the dog on roller skates. He so. has a phone sex scene with Janine Garofalo. He sure movie. does. They're both just yanking it on the phone. All right. The other two, one of them... All right. With the other two, he's starring opposite... Fabulous Oscar-winning actresses in each of these other two movies. Okay, um, one at least one of them has to be a costume drama. No, actually, no. Wow. In one of them, he's playing like the cop. You know how movies will have like yeah. the cop. Uh, the star oh. of this movie is also a cop, but like she's more interesting than that. She's it's not like, like Gothica. Is it Taking Lives? You're right around the same... You're Is it Angelina right Jolie? It's not Angelina Jolie, but you're absolutely in the right genre. Uh, it's not Gothica. It's... This movie is it, most known Murder for... Murder by Numbers? What's it? No. Murder it, by Numbers? No. It is, it is Murder by Numbers. In, yes. Okay. Wow. Three whole twinks in that movie. Wait, who's the third? Wait, you're counting Ben Chaplin as a twink? and Ryan Gosling. Ben Chaplin's not a twink by that movie. He's a... That's that's fair, but... He's a cop. Um, No cops at the twink parade. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 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 All right. Your final one... I have three. Your final one is kind of... uh, So, like, a tremendously popular... Uh, Oscar-winning actress. This movie of hers is one that I haven't seen, but like, it comes up kind of a lot because it's in the middle of an incredibly sort of lush era for her, and this is sort of like the uh, the dissonant note. Oh, is it like Full Frontal? No, but you're right around the right time. Is it the right actress? Is it Julia Roberts? No. Tremendously popular actress. Around the 2002 era. Yes. Popular. Like, Had the actress already won her Oscar? Not quite yet. Is it Holly Berry? It is not Holly Berry. Okay. Is it Nicole Kidman? It is Nicole Kidman. 
Oh, it's Birthday Girl. It's Birthday Girl, a movie I've still never seen. I can't remember if I've seen Birthday Girl. Written by the Brothers Butterworth, directed by Jez Butterworth. Um, He's on the poster, so he's got to be like the, the... He's above the title. It's Nicole Kidman and Ben Chaplin above the title in Birthday Girl. So like he's yeah, the, he's like a lead in all of these movies. The one that he's probably lowest billed for. I think is, the thing is like he's the guy, and then like she's like the Russian mail order bride who fucks his life up or whatever. Yeah, right? like that's the thing. Okay, weird IMDb game. Weird one. Weird IMDb. I'm more than happy to move on from it. That was very cruel. <laughs> Uh, thank you for your help. I believe that is our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and on Instagram at thishadoscarbuzz. Joe, where can the listeners find more of you? You can find me um, dying exquisitely on Twitter and letterboxed uh, at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So uh, please tell uh, tell uh, us how great we made your boobs look uh, with a nice review. Uh, that's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week with more buzz.